Welcome to The Clappers. I'm Carl Quinn. This is Andrew Young. In this episode, we're talking Muriel's Wedding. Oh, great. The musical. Great, great. We are also talking Insiders, Barry Cassidy, ABC TV. We're talking Us, Jordan Peele's follow-up to Get Out. We're talking about The Tower of Power, American Soul Band. And we're talking about Chloe Hooper's excellent book, The Arsonist. Andrew. Hello. You appear to be a little croaky. It is true. It is true. Now, given the revelry that I enjoy on a very occasional basis in my life, people might presume it is a reason for my croakiness. But actually, the reason for my croakiness is hard work coupled with domesticity. (laughs) That is the reason for the season. I've been surrounded by people with sickness in their upper respiratory tract and throat who have in our close proximity passed it on to me, which is why I've got it. You are the Florence Nightingale of this recording studio. And may I? As long as I'm not the canary in the coal mine. Doff this, this, what do we call it? A studio. It sounds like I'm on tablets that are making me a little bit vague. I promise you I'm not on tablets that are making me a little bit vague. You're just a little bit vague. No, no, I feel like I'm at the peak of my intellectual powers, but I am sorry <laughs> that that peak <laughs> is such a... At such, such a low point. Such a low, <laughs> close to the sea level peak. <laughs> oh, so, but you know what? I've been listening to this band for a while in, cool. my, in my life called Tower of Power, right? Mm. Since I was um, a teenager, okay? And they've never been to Australia, mm. but they have. They've come to Australia three times to a place called Caloundra. I know Caloundra well. Most people in Australia have not been to or would consider a place to go just to see a band, right? Why the hell have they come to Caloundra? I believe, I believe, as is often the case with bands, that other bands are in touch and they form a network, an yeah, association yeah, yeah. Of, of, of a guild, if you will, of like-minded professionals. And there may be a festival in Caloundra that that has bands of a rhythm and blues, soul, funk um, style, and they invited them and they went and they loved it and kept coming back. But they were due to come to Melbourne and I was very excited and I'm, I just never buy tickets in advance because there's always something goes wrong. You know, every time I buy a ticket in advance, something, someone is sick yeah. or I can't go out. Yeah. And so I didn't or buy Or you t- lose your voice. I lose, so I didn't buy a ticket in advance and, and I was listening to him the other day thinking, God, what a shame I missed Tower of Power. I love that band so much. I've seen him once in the States, but, and then I get a message from somebody who says, Oh, I've got a free ticket to Tower of Power tonight. And it was last night. Yeah. So I didn't miss them. Yeah. I actually got to see them. And it was just, Excellent. It was such a virtuosic display of not just technical prowess, but amazing musicianship and feeling. It was great. The, I would say the median age of the band is, if you take out the lead singer, the median age of the band is 70. Right. The, band, <laughs> the band had their 50-year celebration last year. Right. But they are live and supple and Funk? muscular. Look, Jazz funk? Pe- people who don't listen to funk music would definitely call it funk because it's right. very syncopated, yeah. punchy music. They say, and I've always said they're a soul band. Right. Um, melody is very strong in yeah. their stuff. You wouldn't necessarily say that's the case with a lot of funk music. It's grooves, repetition, and solos, and you know, and funkiness, obviously. There is some funkiness there. It's a mainly, mainly white people in this band, oh, okay. uh, Hispanic, 
and uh, Anglo with usually an African-American organ player and always an African-American singer right. in a kind of high-ish tenor style. Had a young bloke called Max White singing. There were only three original members playing. Uh, some of them have gotten very, very ill and can't tour anymore. Um, Rocco Presti, the bass player, doesn't tour with them anymore. Um, the drummer and their now bass player were run over by a train last year. Oh, Run over by a train. Only in the US can you be walking around and get run over by a train. Wow. Uh, the bass player was in a coma for two months and didn't look like he was going to pull out. His lissom fingerings were as if untouched so he was by playing, locomotive. So he was playing there when you saw them. This guy, yeah. the train, being hit by a train did not stop him in his tracks. Very humorous. Very humorous. No, he was great. <laughs> David Garibaldi, the drummer, has changed a lot of how he plays. Still very busy and, and like I say, very supple, but a very different drummer to the one that if you've seen them in the past, you've seen. But I was full of excitement. The audience were all median age 70. If you wonder where all the 70-year-olds are who go and see bands, they're at the Croxton in Thornbury and other places. It's really odd to be in a room with people in that age group who are all just throwing themselves into watching a really uh, bouncy, exciting live band, five, six, five horns, you know, just, just incredible. And I saw them and I I didn't expect to, and I did, and it's just completely made for a wonderful, wonderful uh, evening's entertainment. And then I went to Cherry, which was uh, the end of the Soul Night, the end of the Cherry. They've got two more nights. It'll be over by the time you hear this. If you weren't there, then you didn't care, so it doesn't matter. Andrew, I went to see some uh, live music, mm. sort of. Mm. I went to see Muriel's Wedding, the musical. Mm-hmm. Do you remember I, seeing the I, film? I, I, I have. I have, and I'm just trying to remember it. I th- I can't remember. I think I think I liked it. I think I liked it. It's got Sophie Lee in it, who I've always liked. Mm. Someone else. Tony Rachel Collette. Griffiths. Rachel Griffiths. Tony Collette. Yeah, Tony it was really Collette. the film that yeah. um, put both of them on the map. Uh, yeah, I've seen it. Sophie seen Lee it. was already on the map as yeah. a host of uh, Agro's Cartoon Corner or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. Um, or Warner. I don't know. One of those mm. morning kids shows. No, no, Afternoons. Afternoons, afternoons. Was it afternoons, right. That's how Billy Joel was able to watch it because it was on in the afternoon. Billy Joel. How does Billy Joel enter the discussion? Oh, you don't know about this? No. Then I'm not going to tell you or anybody about it. I'll Keep t- that one in the back I'll, pocket. I'll, I'll tell you later. All right, okay. Anyway, if you go back and watch the film, mm. which everybody refers to as, oh, it's so funny, it's comedy, right? It's actually incredibly dark. No, I didn't think it's it was really funny dark. at well, all. Well, I mean, you're right that mm. it's – I mean, no. You're not right that it's not funny I'm at all. I'm just right. Let's just get it straight. Okay, you are I'm right. right. And, mm. <laughs> however, it is funny, mm. but it's really, really dark. It's yeah. a really angry film. I it agree. It is so yeah. angry. I agree. I, I, did a, I did a story on this on the casting of this play, like long before it even had a cast. I did a piece on PJ Hogan while they were casting. I actually I sat in the casting for this play, mm-hmm. which was, mm-hmm. a, I've got to say, a remarkable experience and one that I kind of felt a little bit shabby about being privy to mm, because mm. you see actors doing their thing, mm. desperately trying to win a role. Mm. Man, it's just so, so raw. It just yeah. feels like, wow, I, I have seen something that I never expected to see. I feel privileged mm. and I feel like, you know, I probably shouldn't have seen it in some mm-hmm. ways. Anyway, so uh, I, when, I, when I spoke to PJ Hogan, there wasn't a cast. There is a cast now, and they're fabulous. Obviously, yeah, cast thankfully, now. <laughs> thankfully, on opening night, all the roles were filled. Yes, and it's like it is as dark as the movie, mm-hmm. but it's got perky songs. It's got songs, of course. That's always going to give it a little bit of yeah. pep. In so the step. you get you get great moments of uplift. You mm. get great moments of comedy. 
and you get all of the pathos and you get most of the anger mm. that's there in the film. Mm. And uh, it's it's really, really good. I was okay. very, very um, not surprised but very gratified to see that they'd, they'd actually not traded away any of the darkness in order to package up you know, a, a, an mm. entertainment that, mm. you know, people have to be willing to spend 120 bucks or whatever it is to buy a ticket and uh, and get out of the house and go to the, the theatre, yeah, yeah, which, yeah. you know, it's takes all, some doing. It all costs money. Takes some doing. I was going to say that a lot of the musicals that are being staged here in Melbourne from films, I think, are from films that are very light, Frothy, fun films like Mamma Mia and the Priscilla Absolutely. one. Are there, are there others as well that I'm? Oh uh, well, uh, not as light, but the producers is yeah. a, a film that you know it. it it's funny. Yeah, yeah it's yeah. Mel Brooks. It's you know it's funny, although it does have darkness oh, in it. Shaky. With the old you know the Hitler Hitler the musical the defenestration scene is mm. not, um, not very happy at all. Spam a lot, you know the Monty Python yeah, yeah, musical. Yeah. Uh, you know, mostly uh, you would have to say that the themes of most of the stage musicals, certainly that we get, mm. tend to be on the lighter end of the spectrum. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not without kind of dark kind of themes at some level. I mean, you'd probably say that Wicked has uh, some darkness Does it? to it. Yeah. If you see that, yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. West Side Story has probably a little bit little of bit you know of. you know racial tension. Certainly, you know, Sound of Music's the same. Yeah, Sound yeah. of Music has got dark darkness mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, but they play the dark very very light. It's a mm-hmm. minor key. I would say Muriel's Wedding. It's it's much more a uh, if not ex- not a major key. It's certainly heading up there. It's mm-hmm. it's. There's no shying away from it. There's, there's, you know, there's death, there's suicide, there's, there's, you know, depression, there's unemployment, there's yep. cancer. I mean, there are a lot of big, heavy themes in this show, and yet it's it, not it, just about winning a dancing competition. It's definitely <laughs> not. It's not just about the lightness of ABBA songs. You no, know? no, no. And the ABBA songs are actually a very, very small part of the musical offering. Yeah. The, the, um, the songs are by Kate Miller-Heidke and and Keir Nuttall, and they are fantastic. Are they, they are, in a? Are they like in an ABBA style? No, no, not at all. No, they're it's in a musical theatre style. A musical theatre style. Yeah, um, and they're they're great. Mm. They're really really great. So, Muriel's wedding, the musical. I won't be going. <laughs> Andrew won't be going, but I reckon the rest of you should. Uh, everyone will. Yeah, yeah. I'm Muriel. Then I'm on the run for my entire life. Hi, Muriel. When you get to Insiders. Good morning. Welcome to Insiders. As Tony Abbott put it, the longest election is finally over. Your favourite show, my favourite show. I hardly ever watch Insiders, but whenever I do, mm-hmm. I think I should watch Insiders more often. You can watch it any time you like, you know. Yeah, you know what? Yeah? Yes, there are a lot of shows I can watch any time I like. There are so only so many no, shows mate, I can watch. Mate, you watch and can so I tell many you, bad, I watch so many shows. You watch so many bad shows. Can't you find some time in so your life? I shows. I watch a few bad to shows. Me, to me, <laughs> it seems like you only watch... Watch bad shows, but um, I'm no. I'm sure there are a couple that you enjoy anyway, which is great. Uh, but Insiders is my favourite television program. Have you just pulled out your red pen to, to know, channel Barry Cassidy? If only I had the Kerry O'Brien <laughs> pen. They are very expensive. Those Kerry O'Brien pens, and I used to get them um, from work, and now my work doesn't get them anymore. So. <sighs> It's really annoying. Barry Cassidy hosts Insiders and has been for, I think, 19 years or something extraordinary. And if people don't know, it's a magazine-style 
mainly political current affairs program, which has a panel. Bit of cooking, bit of travel. No it's cooking. Not that kind of magazine. No, no cooking. <laughs> magazine in that it has segments. It has segments. They talk about what's in the papers. They have a, a political guest, uh, a minister or an MP, and then the panel of journalists will discuss various political issues of the day. And I, I watch it. I think it's great. Now, Barry Cassidy is retiring at mm. the end of the year, and I've been thinking about You're who... going to throw your hat in the ring. No, 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 no. I'm not, but I, I want some... I want. There are some I want in the ring, mm. and there are some I don't want in the ring. Okay. Hat, hat, Hats-wise. Hats, yeah. Some... I don't know who would you who would you think off the top of your head? It'd be your first your first in. Ah, oh, look, you, you've got to say that from the ABC <clears throat> roster, you're going to see people like Annabelle Crabb being mm. mentioned, Virginia Trioli, mm. Tony Jones. Except that uh, mm. uh, Tony He's Jones retiring. is yes moving to China. Uh, yeah, moving to China. So I'll say on Crabb. I think Crabb's too jaunty. Yeah, I think that cooking um, with parliamentarians really hurt her in terms of people seeing her as a serious person and also people um, ex- like a lot of people took real umbrage at her being matey and jolly hockey sticks with certain MPs that yeah. people have a very strong opinion of regarding immigration and things like that uh, I think Trioli would be perfect but I reckon she's going to take John Fain's job mm-hmm. next year because I heard her when she was hosting it she was loving it, even though she's on television every morning. No one watches that she'd show. She'd probably like the late start. Yeah, she'd <laughs> she's love, got to sleep in until 5.30. She'd love the late start, and I reckon she will be great. I remember her in the afternoons. She's, there's not been anybody better in the afternoons than Trioli. Um, so, so yeah, I, I, I think she would, but I don't, I don't reckon it will be her, and I, I don't reckon Crabs should. Tingle would be magnificent, but, mm. but she's just got a nightly 7.30 Big spot, mm. and I reckon that that's it. That that she's fine doing that and being a guest on Insiders. I think Tingle would be great, but I reckon she's going to stay with the high visibility mm. of nightly. Don't think they'll television. Uh, try to entice Andrew Bolt to uh, jump the canal. Uh, n- not now that Ida Batros is there. I think, <laughs> I think we can. We don't have to worry about that. I have a name that I think should should go on and will go on. Definitely be the host of Insiders. And should and definitely will. And I'm, and I'm only going to say not going out on a limb here at all. Are you? No, no, no. And I just want people to know that I don't have any any moles in the department. I don't have any connections with people who know things that are going on at the ABC. Um, most people I know who are the places where they know things are going on, they actually don't know what's going on and things take them by surprise as much as everybody else. So this is my own view, my own um, prediction, is I reckon Emeril Barici for uh, the host because even though she's very economics – I reckon when she was doing um, Late Line, I reckon um, she she has a good sound mind and a great interviewing style, and she will really upset the government. I think that is such a long, excellent long excellent long bow. Yep. Given given the uh, the the crap that was thrown at Alba Ritchie mm-hmm. during the Guthrie Milne saga. Yep. I think it would be a very bold move to yes. give her such a, a high-profile job yes. uh, and very, very, very visible job. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, is it a? Could she, would she? Do you think she would do that while also remaining the economics correspondent? You think she'd mm. step oh, economics mm. editor? S- you'd step, step away down from that. Yeah. Right. Um, look, I haven't asked her. We I'll, don't, I'll we, we don't, we, we don't spend a lot of time together. I'll tell you what's interesting about right? this: pretty much every name we've mentioned mm. is a woman. Yes, yes. Uh, that's not not um, intentional on my part. Let me think of some really good women. Um, Greg Jennett, no. Andrew Proben, no. Uh, Michael Brissenden, 
maybe, maybe. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. But yeah, these are all really high profile ABC women, and they're all extraordinary in their in yeah. their in their roles. So why not? I mean, that didn't occur. Lee Sales? No, no, no. Again, why? again, Lee Sales because she's got a big job. She's got a no. But also, and and I I I really enjoy watching Lee Sales mm. on Seven Thirty. Perhaps not to the extent that our former Prime Minister does, but. Um, I enjoy watching. I'm talking about Malcolm Turnbull. Mm. Uh, her her love f- of musical theatre <laughs> and 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 especially of Paul McCartney and Shane Warne, the visibly girlish infatuation that overcame her when she was talking to both those men, I think disqualifies her from the host I, of I Insiders. I think you're a very very. I just think it's a good thing you're not on the selection panel. Can I say Why that? Why did you say that? Because haven't I given some really good names? You've thrown some names in, but I mean, where, I where you're where you're drawing the line? Yeah. I think is just like girlish infatuation with. Paul I McCartney think people are allowed to be well-rounded individuals. You know, they're allowed to mm. be have a very clear head on political politics and economics, but still like cricket and no, 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 Beatles not songs. No, not cricket and Beatles songs. Shane Warne and Paul McCartney. They are very <laughs> different things, my friend. They are very different things. You never ever confuse the man. With the game or the man with Cricket the music. Cricket 10, Warn 3. <laughs> Go to the Clappers Facebook page and vote now for who you think should be the host of Insiders next year. Don't worry about John Fain, fate accompli. We know who that's going to be. Insiders. Just one more. Ellen Fanning, no. Great on AM, with the youngest host of AM, I believe, went to 60 Minutes. That's it. When you go to 60 Minutes, that's it. I know you'll say Yana Vent, but she started there. When you leave the ABC and go to 60 Minutes, I'm surprised they even have her on the drum now, frankly. No. Andrew, mm. I want to talk about us. Mm-hmm. Good. It's about time you talked about us. Okay. I, I think we're getting on quite nicely, and that's a really good – no, I want to talk about the movie Us, Jordan Peele film, uh, starring Lupita Nyong'o. If you want to get crazy – can get crazy. It's a sequel to Get Out, which was a film that really, I think, took the world by storm. Uh, low budget horror film made under the Bloomhouse banner for, you know, four million bucks or whatever. The usual cost of those films took massive amount of money, 250 million or something worldwide. Uh, got, got a, uh, an Oscar, uh, screenplay nomination. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like a really significant piece of work that, took the horror genre into allegory in a big way, political okay. allegory. It was mm-hmm. a story that was essentially about white liberal guilt and latent racism. It was clever, clever, clever piece of filmmaking that worked as a genre film as well. Mm. Right? Us is his follow-up. Slightly bigger budget, well, considerably bigger, about 12, 20 million bucks. So it's more ambitious in terms of its scale. It's more outward and out in the world. Mm. It's uh, opened up in quite a considerable way. There's quite a number of big set pieces in it. So Um, not as good? Well, no, I don't think it's as good. And I Mm. think the reason it's not as good is that it is not because of the money. It is because the, uh, the allegorical scope of it is so much broader. It's, it's effectively a story about the underclass and, uh, American underclass? The Amer- well, the the all underclass. But yes, I mean, it's set in America, so in, intrinsically it's about mm. the American underclass. 
Now you might think that that suggests that it's a, a film that it's about that that's about the underclass being black, being Latino, being you know the 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 invisible, uh, and it is about invisibility mm-hmm. to a degree, about the invisible becoming visible, but it kind of elides the whole issue of race. Uh, there's there are effectively two families who are the focus of this. There's the the black family where Lupita Nyong'o is the sort of focal point, and then there's a white family where Elizabeth Moss is the focal point, and it's uh, it kind of by by virtue of the fact that you've got both of them in effectively the same position. It kind it's like too much of a leveling uh, dr- uh, factor. I think it kind of takes takes a political edge out of it. It's you know it's it's difficult to say exactly why it doesn't quite work. And to say that it doesn't quite work is not to say that it doesn't work at all because it does. It works in a it's lot of quite. ways. It's just not quite as great as uh-huh. Get Out was. And I think it's just because it's it's trying to be too big. It's trying to be too big, and and in being so big, it's, it loses some of its specificity. Is this a horror movie? <laughs> yes. Right. <laughs> Do yeah. I neglect to say that mm, I did? But. Yeah. Presume, and I didn't want to presume just because he makes one horror movie that he yeah. makes another horror yeah. movie. Well, I don't want to say too much about the plot, but yes, yeah, it's yeah, a of, horror of movie. course, because yeah. that they're always very important in horror movies, like in the Blair Witch yeah. Project. That was a horror movie, wasn't it? It certainly was, and that yes. kind of had a plot, sort yeah. of. Yeah. Yeah. That was pretty scary. It starts. In great form, it yeah. starts at a fairground by the seaside. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, exa- well, that's oh. it. Right? That's all you need to say, right? <laughs> Stop right there. Visions of carnival carnage. Yeah. Well, without the carnage, it it has the carny kind of mm-hmm. sense of spooky. Mm-hmm. It, it, this could all go horribly wrong with just the slightest tweak. Is there a cyclops in this? Uh, no, there is no Cyclops. No, but there's They're pretty rare. There's he does some beautiful stuff with 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 the camera and with the sound in okay. that opening five minutes or, so, or five or ten minutes or so. It's it's really great. Yeah. Um. And well, when when you know, I remember when people used to talk about after Star Wars came out. Yeah. And once one's critical faculties developed and saw what a <laughs> relentless piece of garbage it actually is, you would hear people say, "Oh." Have you seen such and such? I go, yeah, nah. Yeah. It's got great special effects. You've got to give them that. <laughs> well, no, I don't. It's it's like, here's this turd and I've re- polished it to the most pristine sheen. You've got to give me that, right? No, it's still a turd. Polishing it, even it's a beautiful polished job, it's still you know, it's still what it is. Yeah. Is this, mean, is this a polished turd of a film? No, car? no, it's not a polished no. turd of a film. I just want to correct myself. Yes. I, I said that it was nominated. Get Out was nominated for best Oscar, uh, best screenplay Oscar. In fact, won. Oh, uh, he won. Well, well done, yeah, Get yeah. Out. Um, it's a good title. I really like the title, Get Out. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen the film. You should. It's, it's okay. Definitely, definitely worth a look. I think you'd probably enjoy it. Okay. Yeah. I enjoyed our, our talk about Lars von Trier yeah. last episode. Yeah. I made a mistake. You went and saw the film. God, that would be a mistake. <laughs> I would be more than croaky in the voice. I'd be blind in the eyes. Uh, I said the film of his that I saw, and I realised this 
You said it was Europa, yeah, right? It's yeah, Zentropa. Oh well, Zentropa is Europa. It's the same film. Um, it, it had different names depending oh, on where it was released. So I wasn't wrong. I said I would have sounded really cosmopolitan. I think in Australia it was called Zentropa. It fact. was. That's, in, what, that's in, why I in, felt uh, I was wrong. Europe and in Europe it was called Europa. Oh, okay. And his production company is called Zentropa. Yeah. So you know, it's, not American Zoetrope. No, no, no. That would be Francis Ford Coppola's company. Yes. <laughs> what are you people? Oh, they look exactly like us. They think like us. They know where we are. We need to move and keep moving. They won't stop until they kill us. And we kill them. I read a book recently released mm. by Chloe Hooper. It's called The Arsonist. And it's a brisk read. Mm-hmm. It's something that I think a lot of people would would struggle to open the first page of because mm. it's it's on a uh, it's on a topic that is very close to a lot of Australians. It's on the topic of the the bushfires, Black Saturdays, and it's about one particular pair of fires that was started and an investigation. The Churchill fires, exactly. Mm. And the I've town- read this book. Oh, have you? Mm. Should have asked at the start if you read this book. I just presume you haven't read any book. Yeah, how thanks ru- for that. How rude of me! Oh, what a surprise! How rude of me! <laughs> I should have known that you'd read this book because I have it on my lap, and normally when I have a book on my lap, you want to fondle it. <laughs> and your lap or the book? The book, the book. And you didn't ask to fondle this book, which means you must have read it. Because what would you get from having a, a fondle of these pages? Um, Reacquaintance. It's. Your mediated third person narrative seen through the the detectives from the lawyers and from the different points of view of the different protagonists and the people involved in in what we'll call it the story of how the Churchill fires were started and the investigation and the subsequent conviction of uh, a man for starting those fires. Brendan Sokoluk. And it's kind of it's a, it's a, an investigation I think of whether or not he did it, mm-hmm. uh, a- and probably more so as an investigation of what kind of person would do that. Mm-hmm. And and it doesn't come, to, especially that one of what kind of you can't come to a conclusion. Well, I, th- on I think that. on both. I mean, there is yeah. a, there is a small skerrick of doubt about whether or not he did it. Although I think ultimately, you know, it comes down with uh, with the judicial system yes. on, on the side of yes, he did. The book, I, the book presumes that he's innocent. Yeah. Right up until the conviction, and then any authorial um, involvement is on the presumption this man is now a guilty man, yeah. and this man we can say has committed these crimes. And you can say that because he's been found guilty of them. I felt that the way that the book was structured, even though this is all subsequent to the events, when you know, mm. the, the research and the interviews and everything, it left uh, me a feeling that he didn't like those fires. Did the, it? the feeling through the book, the way that the yeah, yeah, the, yeah, sure. the way that the evidence was evidence, you know, um, and and we could, we should talk about that because what constitutes evidence and what doesn't, and his his admission in a police interview where he has he's not being represented by anybody, he's refused representation, but at the same time seems to lack the mental facility to really understand the position that he's in having been arrested and what he's actually admitting to doing and the repercussions of that. Uh, he's, 
his second barrister gets him diagnosed as clearly autistic mm. and throughout his life he has been slow unable to to, to you know, illiterate and picked on and considered he's basically the typical guy you would fit up for this type of crime he's the guy that's strange that's weird that upsets people that bothers his workmates that doesn't have any friends that that lurks about the place and is seen through the bushes and he's exactly the kind of person if you were trying to find a scapegoat that would be this guy you know and the book kind of takes you along in that direction for a while except that there's also some very compelling evidence that he was there at or he was very definitely there. close to he was there. the moment of the fire's inception yeah, he was he was there as were a lot of other people but he was there he was seen in all the locations where the fire started and nearby and at various houses in the surrounding area he was no, and this was used as evidence against him. He had extensive knowledge of the bushland and the tracks, and was able to move swiftly from place to place. So I'm curious. Are you saying that you you still, at the having finished this book, mm-hmm. that you still are of the view that he possibly did not light the fire? Yeah, right. yeah. And my view is only because this is not a very thick book. I, <laughs> uh, there's not, and, and and that's that's. I don't mean to be flippant. I mean the information that this book provides tells me that a person who uh, is compromised intellectually has said that they've done something that they may have done but that I think you could also see that they're the kind of person who would say a lot of things that they hadn't have done or didn't do Mm. and whether he did it whether it's been proven that he's deliberately lit fires or it was actually, you know, he talks about throwing a, a, a serviette with cigarette and ash and it was still burning and landing on the ground whether and I don't know and and I don't know if he believes he did it or he believes he didn't, but I don't I don't know enough about fires, but I do know that they start in all manner of ways and people start a lot of them, and it could well have been that these fires were started by a person, but it may or may not have been him. Mm. People have that um, Ron Philpot, who was uh, uh, charged with lighting fires, was found it was not to have done it because it was a proven to be an electrical fault from the um, the infrastructure of the, the power companies. So you can be found guilty of a crime that you didn't commit, and I'm not saying that he's innocent. I'm just saying that I'm not convinced by what I've read in this book mm. and the way the information was presented. And even though I suspect that it's the intention of the author to present him as guilty, and there's a little coda where the author is, speaks in first person, about it and you know talks about him as having been the lighter of the fires either i'm i missed something or i i just don't think it was presented as compelling to me as it was to the jury so what do you think of the book i really like it right i I, I really do it's it's a i i I, you've got it was like a 15 month investigation or something into the whole the Royal Commission into all those bushfires and to just pick one and to go through the awful catalogue of good luck and bad luck of the people that that survived by staying in the house people who didn't survive by by fleeing who didn't survive by just the awful luck that some had and some didn't have and it's it's profoundly moving and and it in you know, it it's something that I think is necessary to read, you know, in the context of people love true crime, you know, but sometimes they don't really 
see what the what the consequences of that are, especially the consequences for the people who are living. Yeah. You know, it's 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 really really upsetting and moving. And the way that all the different the, the way the detectives were presented as very sympathetic, uh, perhaps more sympathetic than I, I would have. You know, um, that so when, when somebody who is clearly mentally impaired who has a severe intellectual disability it's from the way that she has presented the thoughts of the detectives during the interviews they don't seem to believe him they feel that he's putting it on that one minute he's he's lucid and coherent that, that the I next found minute interesting. he isn't yeah. you know yeah. um so i i yeah i think it's an amazing book and one that you know i wouldn't suggest you read on the train because you'll miss your stop it's very difficult to stop reading it's 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 compelling and, and i and i also wonder what it does to you when you write she wrote the tall man which yeah. most people would have heard about chris hurley on palm island and the uh, cameron domaging and then she writes this and i wonder how you uh, how you cope with the the trauma of spending a few years getting into people's lives and into these horrible events that have happened and then you write this book and then how you can you know recover from that like journalists in a war zone you know they they suffer ptsd um the, it, we've recently passed the 10th anniversary of those fires mm-hmm. of course there was a uh, documentary on abc called aftermath which i i, I didn't watch because I, 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 I couldn't yeah. Imagine spending an hour sitting down watching that. I remember it was the, pretty powerful. You know, yeah, it was really yeah. quite moving. You know, seeing these people uh, talking about how they'd coped or hadn't coped. Um, you know, and rebuilding their lives either in the area or moving away. Mm. You know, it's yeah. I mean, it's I I, I find it almost unfathomable to to mm. uh, what what it must be like to actually live through such an experience where mm. you, everything you know, everything you own is wiped yeah. out, and that's that's for the lucky ones who don't lose people exactly or their own lives obviously. exactly. And you always wonder what you would do. Would you be the the person who left on Wednesday? I would be the person who left on Wednesday. And At least I think I would be. The I think who left I would Wednesday. be too. But then I think. But there are people who have been in this place, whatever the place, mm-hmm. for generations, and there is no else. There's no somewhere there's else. No, to go, there's nowhere right. else to go. There's no yeah. flat in Fitzroy that they can decamp to yeah. until the the bad weather passes. You yeah. know, and so it it's there's no. There's, there's no right way of, of approaching it. the people say the people leave you know either way um, it, it's it's very distressing to, mm. and they had a, a the day on of, of the, the the anniversary on the radio they were broadcasting from different locations not the day the day before because the day they had memorial services and they didn't want media coming in but the day before they brought the abc radio broadcast from different locations where the where the fires were talking to people and there's still a lot of you know anger yeah. and uh, a lot of the sense of not being listened to or, or not not being uh, given the faculties to cope with down the line you know mm. it's uh, yeah it's very it's very distressful um to read about and and to think about when you imagine what you're what you would do you know uh but i recommend this book it's it's a grim topic and you may find like me that uh, you're not quite sure if there's been enough evidence presented that um uh, brendan sokolak is guilty or you may find yeah obviously he's obviously guilty who else would it be um but i recommend you read it that is a book by Chloe Hooper called The Arsonist, published 
by Penguin Hamish Hamilton. You've been listening to The Clappers, and we give our profound thanks to you. Interested in new books? Subscribe to Chapter One. Chapter One is a new podcast with me, Nellie Thomas. Each episode, you'll hear the first chapter of a new release book from top publishers. Subscribe and listen to Chapter One, a new podcast with me, Nellie Thomas. Search for Chapter One where you're listening now.